This is Daryl Wood, host of Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show on Faith Talk 1500. First, let me say this show's your show. That's why no matter what I discuss or which guest I interview, your input is valued. If it's in the news, on TV, at the movies, whether political, social, economic, whatever, at some point I'm talking about it on Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show, Monday through Friday, 4 to 6 p.m. on Faith Talk 1500. That's uh, going to be one of the classes. And I'm telling you, something that strengthens your faith in the Word of God, biblical archaeology, it is absolutely amazing what they have uncovered. And the way that what they have uncovered confirms the Bible. So we're going to be dealing with that. Uh, the next time, after uh, uh, this course in 96, and someone asks you for proof that the Bible is the Word of God, you're going to say, wait a minute. Because <laughs> okay? uh, there is such proof uh, uh, on everything in the Bible, from uh, Joshua, the book of Joshua, Jericho, the flood. There's some fantastic proof concerning Noah's flood that is just absolutely awesome. And so these are the things that we're going to be dealing with in biblical studies. Not only uh, biblical archaeology, but also biblical hermeneutics in terms of how to interpret the Bible, the principles and rules that you use to do that. We're going to deal with the Bible contradictions. How many of you ever had a class on Bible contradictions? Okay. It will be quite eye-opening to, see, uh, to have a class on that. And that's in conjunction with hermeneutics and biblical introduction as well. So stay with us for a while. That's in our second year, and that is the second year specialty, is a year dealing with biblical studies. And then, of course, the ETA, uh, the Evangelical Teacher Association, our certificate is given, will be given to those who don't complete it uh, at this particular time. After you get the ETA, now those of you in doctrinal studies will complete your ETA work, and then you will go from that into biblical studies. The people who come into biblical studies without having the ETA will finish ETA at the end of that. So we've got uh, just a lot of work uh, to do in this area. And I'll be telling you more. Uh, as we go along, but the bottom line is just stay with us and you won't miss out on anything. But there are some quite challenging and some good studies that are coming your way. Open your Bibles, if you will, and those of you who do not have this handout, don't worry about it. We will get it to you on the Bible and Islam. How many of you need it? Don't have it. The Bible and Islam, okay? If you're a first-time caller, it's understandable that you don't have it, and some of you may have come her. Say, caller, I'm thinking I'm on the radio. <laughs> and uh, by the way, I hope that you guys do listen on Monday from 3 to 4 to WLQV. I have a good time answering those questions that come in. And then for those of you who can't sleep, uh, it re-broadcasts uh, again at 2 a.m. So from 2 to 3 on WLQV, if you happen to miss it in the afternoon. I think that's just great. I, I was, you know, I, I go and listen to myself at night. I work midnights and it doesn't sound nothing like me, I, I guarantee you. All right, so if you don't have this, we will have it for you next time. I have just been being too easy on Karen. Stand up, Karen. I've been too easy on her. See, that's our secretary, and work her like a dog, y'all. If you need something, call her. And I don't know if you've ever called. She's very polite on the phone. Any of you ever called and talked to Karen? She's real nice. She says, hello, can I help you? You, know? you call up some places, and they say, hey, can I, what do you want? 
but Karen doesn't do you like that. And so all I've got to do really is to give this to her, and she'll have copies available for you every time. So the fault is mine and not hers, and I will uh, give this to her, and there will be copies, ample copies for those of you who don't have it. What I would advise you to do on this uh, go-round is just to take notes, and we're going to be dealing with the Quran and women. We'll be looking at the nation of Islam and women. And before that, Pastor Broadway has an announcement, but I can't understand if he has an announcement why he's way at the back of the church. Amen. Instead of down here, come on down, because uh, uh, he's got to talk about it. I don't know what he's got in his hand there. It looks like some books. Let's give him a hand. Oh, y'all clap for him, huh? Oh, I see how it is. Buy that children Bible, the one with pictures. Okay, save me, save me one, brother. Save me one. And uh, don't tell nobody. Well, y'all don't tell nobody, but I, I might be preaching for one. <laughs> so very good uh, advice, uh, the word of God in uh, language and in an interesting format that the children can understand. All right. Let us then begin with what we have before us. Those of you who have your printed notes, you'll want to take them out as we look at what the Quran and primarily also Islam has to say about women and the place of women within this particular religion. Now, despite what you have heard concerning uh, Islam, women are treated quite poorly in the nation of Islam, especially by world Islam. They are considered to be second-class citizens. And it's clear, all you have to do, if you ever go over to the Middle East, you find out very quickly uh, they are wearing clothing that, uh, they, where they cannot expose uh, parts of their flesh. They look like almost uh, walking curtains, literally. And if, in fact, if you've seen any that even here, uh, the, uh, where I've encountered uh, Islamic women, is down at Eastern Market, where sometimes they shop. And it's amazing how they have to dress, regardless of the weather. And so uh, there is much oppression there. But let us look at our printed notes and see what we have here concerning it. Some things that we have already looked at, in fact, notes hopefully that you do have on the Quran, because we had a lesson where, as you recall, we came straight from the Quran itself. And now what we're doing is covering some of that ground and, of course, going a little further. On point 20 on your printed notes where it says, the Quran teaches that men are superior to women. The exact quote is, men have authority over women because Allah has made the one superior to the other. Okay. And now in some of their versions, they don't say superior, they'll say something else. But basically still, the basic idea here is that man in general is in charge over women. In fact, uh, they would say that men are superior to women in skills and in ability. Now, the Bible, of course, does not say this. The Bible uh, does, of course, in the marital relationship, affirm that the man is the head of the household. So in terms of the marital relationship, the role is Christ, of course, being over the man, which a lot of men always forget when they explain it. You women can say amen to that, can't you? All right. Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of the woman in the marital relationship. But in terms of men being superior to women or anything like that, we don't find that the Bible has those kinds of comments. The Bible does not talk about the inequality, but rather we are all equal in the eyesight of God. In your printed notes, it would have you turn to Galatians 3, and I would have you turn there as well. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27 to 28. Notice the word of God says this, 
Galatians 3, 27, 28. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on who? Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all what? One in Christ Jesus. So God sees us all as equal and as the same. God does not consider men to be superior to women or women to be superior to men. We may have different roles that we exercise, but that does not mean that one person is superior to the other. Because you have a person in your church who is a deacon, you have a person who is a pastor, they may be in a leadership position that is above you, but they are not superior to you. Just because a person is in a leadership position does not mean that that person is superior to you. So this is something clearly that we must understand. And, of course, on a sideline to this is be very careful. You do not want to be in a relationship with anyone who does not understand the basic equality of men and women. It would be disastrous for you, right? Got to be very careful, sisters, that you do not let a male chauvinist put a ring on your finger. On the same token, men, you must be very careful of these wildcat women. Y'all don't want to say amen. Okay? But there's some wildcat ones. They can act real nice, but they got a frying pan waiting now. Okay? So understand that the Bible affirms the basic equality of the sexes. The Bible affirms that. However, in Islam, we see different treatment. We really do. Notice... We saw this when we read through the Quran a while ago. For those of you, it's good to repeat some of this because you might not have it. At point 21, Islam affirms something that the Bible definitely doesn't. The Bible does not say anything like this from Genesis all the way to Revelation. But we find it in the Quran, do we not? Women can be beaten. Notice, women can be beaten according to the Quran. We saw that, we read it. In fact, the quote is, good women are obedient. I like that, don't you men? Chester likes it. Look at him over there. Just laughing. He's going to bring it home, show his wife right away. Good women are obedient. And the women say we would be obedient if you had some sense. Good women are obedient. As for those for whom you fear disobedience, admonish them. Now, actually, here it's kind of softened because we've seen when we looked at uh, the, one of the, the standard version by Yusuf Ali that it said beat them. Okay, scourge them, which is to whip. And so the, uh, the Arabic word means to hit or to beat them. And then send them to their beds apart, okay, and beat them. So those who are disobedient, if they're obedient, good. If they are not obedient, beat them and send them to their beds without you. And that's the real punishment. Huh. I'm not coming to bed tonight. <laughs> That'll make you act right. Oh, please, don't do that. Boy, she'll be so happy you stay out of there. <laughs> y'all quit laughing in here. See, that just shows y'all aren't Islamic women. See? Yes. Yes, Surah 4, the Surah on women. Now, there's exact verses. I've stopped giving the verses because I found out that they're not uniform in all of their translations. But Surah 4, you can find it. And if you get the exact copy of Yusuf Ali that I had, you will find it in there. But it is in Surah 4, the, uh, the chapter on women. 
section on women. Notice also, point 22, that polygamy, spelled wrong here, not P-O-L-G-A-N-Y, but M, polygamy is accepted, and it is, because the Quran endorses it, my friends. According to the Quran, you may marry other women whom seem good to you. <laughs> I don't know, but I guess for a lot of men, a lot of them seem awful good to them, right? That could really get out of hand, couldn't it? Says you may marry other women who seem good to you. And then notice it says two, three, or four of them. So the Quran puts a limit on the amount that you can have. You can have four, according to the Quran. Now, Muhammad had more than four. Okay? He, told, he said that Allah told him he was an exception. He could have more. And he did. And one of his wives was nine years of age. He robbed the cradle. And all of this is verifiable in the uh, Hadith, which is the sacred traditions of Islam as well. We'll be looking at some of this. Notice, now, some would assert that the Bible condones polygamy. It does not. God allowed polygamy in the Old Testament, but it never was his plan. It was not God's plan that a man would have more than one wife, nor was it God's ideal plan that a woman would have more than one husband. And all the women say, Amen. God revealed his plan very clearly and very specifically in the book of Genesis. We know that. It's no doubt. Because if polygamy was to be condoned, we, we would see Adam with more than one wife right there. All God had to do was just pull out more than one rib, and there you got it. Okay. He didn't do it. Because his design for marriage was that men and women would become one flesh. Now, of course, polygamy was practiced, and God did not always rain firebolts down upon those who did it, but definitely it was not his ideal plan. We see it occurring in the Old Testament. However, in the New Testament, we find that Jesus affirms that a man can only have one wife and a woman only one husband. Okay. In the New Testament, it is clearly affirmed. Revelation was progressive. Paul will tell us in the book of Acts that there were things that God winked at. But when Jesus came on the scene, all of those things that were allowed and were winked at in the Old Testament are gone. New Covenant doesn't allow it. Let us look at some passages that would demonstrate this. Deuteronomy chapter 17. And we could do, of course, a more exhaustive study even on this particular issue. Deuteronomy 17, verse 16 to 17, notice where the word of God reads, But he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt, talking about the king, to the end that he should multiply horses, for as much as the Lord hath said unto you, ye shall henceforth return no more that way. Neither shall he multiply wives to himself, that his heart turn not away. Neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. So here we see the limitation being put on the kings of Israel not to become polygamous and multiply women unto themselves. In Acts chapter 17, notice what Paul argues here. As he talks to the Athenians, the Greeks, Acts chapter 17 and verse 29 to 30. He says in verse 29, For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, 
graven by art and man's device. Okay? Now notice this. And the times of this ignorance. God is saying, Paul is saying, that God realized there was a time when man was ignorant. He had to grow in knowledge. He had to grow in understanding God's revelation. So then, verse 30, and the times of this ignorance God winked at. There were things that God winked at or God allowed. Didn't say they were right, but he allowed it. Okay? There were certain things that he allowed. But now, now, okay, before things were allowed, but now commandeth all men everywhere to what? Repent. Because he hath appointed a day in the which he shall judge the world in righteousness. By that man, what's his name? Whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men that he hath raised him from the dead. So in the past, God winked at certain things. There were certain things that he did not condone, but that he allowed. But now, in New Covenant times, those things are gone. And now we listen to who? Jesus. Jesus is where we get our instructions. Jesus is the one now who gives us our divine revelation. Jesus is the one who interprets the Bible for you and I. So we have to follow Jesus. And what did Jesus say concerning marriage? Well, turn to Matthew 19. You just had it, didn't you? Whole class on it. Matthew 19. This is what Jesus had to say concerning marriage. Matthew 19, 4 to 6. And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them what? Male and female. That's how God made them. What they became after that is anybody's guess. Huh? But God made them male and female. Clear about that. And said, For this cause shall a what? Man. Not men, but a man. Leave what? Father and who? Mother and shall cleave unto his wives. Doesn't say cleave unto his wives, does it? Cleave unto his what? Wife. And they that are what? Twain or two shall become what? One flesh. So God, so Jesus then affirmed monogamy. A man is married to only one woman. And a woman is married to only one man. Therefore, how is it that the Quran coming some 600 years after the New Testament has already been written would miss this very important assertion by Jesus Christ. And rather than go with the New Testament revelation, which is binding upon all of us today, but hearken back to an Old Testament practice that the Bible only condoned. So you can see then the era that we're dealing with. Notice also what they say and this is in uh, the Quran and portions of the Quran as well as in the Hadith. And I think the Hadith goes into even more elaboration on this. But what it says in here at point 23, men will have concubines in heaven. Oh, wow. Can't wait, huh, guys? Says, surely for the God-fearing. Oh, man, need to fear God now. Surely for the God-fearing awaits a place of security, gardens and vineyards and maidens with swelling breasts. Oh, yeah. Y'all heathens. 
swelling breasts and cups overflowing. I guess the angel's going to measure the cup size for the women. Make sure they got swelling breasts. Now, <laughs> y'all don't get mad at me. I'm just telling you what it says here. In other words, how carnal can you get? Is it any doubt that this is not the word of God? You can see why this religion is so popular. It's a man-made religion. Men love this stuff, right? Now, we laugh at them, but, you know, very similar to the Mormons who believe that in heaven, see, because polygamy can't happen down here, we go to jail. But up in heaven, there will be celestial marriage and celestial polygamy, and Mormon men who will become gods will have many wives and have eternal sex with these wives throughout eternity. Boy, the devil is something else, ain't he? Say, I know what you men want. <laughs> I'm going to give it to you. So we can see then the place of women is a quite demeaned place within Islam. Tools of men, uh, a reward for men in heaven, and these sorts of things. And also, there is even more to be said about them, and I want to read you some of this now. Uh, women in Islam. Uh, this you won't get in your printed notes. And this comes from the book entitled The Islamic Invasion by Dr. Robert Moray. Good book, by the way. Recommend that you get it if you don't have it. And in the section on women's rights, he says this. The oppressive nature of Islam is seen most clearly in its denial of basic civil rights to women. And as we read some of this, I want you women in here to put yourself in the place of an Islamic woman. And ask yourself, how could you deal with this situation? Now, if you were reared in it, no doubt, maybe it might become something you put up with. But could you imagine? Listen to some of this. In pre-Islamic Arab society, the women did not have the status of independent persons, but were considered to be possessions of the men. All sorts of inhumane treatment of the women were permissible and customary. The Quran states in Surah 4, 34, now the chapters will always be the same. Now be aware that when you look at different versions, the verses change. It's not as uniform as we have in our Bibles. But in Surah 4, 34, we've read it and seen it. It says, men are the managers of the affairs of women. <laughs> That's why I guess a lot of men's affairs get messed up. Say, those you fear may be rebellious, we've seen this, admonish, banish them to their couches and beat them. Now, the, the word is real strong for beat them or scourge them. Uh, Dr. Moray had a very interesting experience because he says that during a live phone-in radio program in Los Angeles in 1991, a Muslim claimed that the Arabic word translated beat them only meant to tap lightly on the wrist with a twig. See, that was the apologist he's calling up and arguing with Dr. Moray. Now, Dr. Moray says, I pointed out that the same Arabic word is used to describe the beating of camels and criminals. Can you imagine trying to get a camel to do something? Come on, camel. <laughs> Think he's going to move? No. Okay. Can you imagine a criminal? <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> no. This word beat, of course, is quite strong. Uh, so he pointed this out to them. Who would be so foolish as to think that tapping lightly on the wrist with a twig could control wild camels or punish violent criminals? They're stuck with it, and it's quite damaging to their position. And it's something that definitely should be pointed out, the beating of women. And this is why the demeaning of women is, in Islam society is very natural. Can you imagine if you were to confront them? 
they would all they would have to say, I know all I would say is this, I am Islamic and the Quran tells me to beat her. What could you say? I mean, you're stuck with it. Their, their Bible says this. Okay, this is not an opinion. This is their scripture. And if you deem that to be holy, then you're stuck with it. And women who marry Islamic men, you are stuck with it. You really have it. Notice this, where it says, and another quote that comes from the book, the statement that men are the guardians of women in verse 38 of Surah 4 postulates inequality of men and women in civil rights. The words are followed by two brief explanations of men's superiority over women. In Islamic law, male heirs get more than female heirs. And men's evidence is more reliable than women's. And I'll show you why in a minute. In a court of law, men's evidence is more reliable than women according to Islam, and you'll see why in a minute. To be exact, a man's inheritance is twice a woman's share, and his evidence carries twice the weight of hers in court. The right to divorce belongs to the husband and not to the wives. Even today, Muslim women can be kept prisoners in their own home. They can be denied the right to go outside the house if the husband so orders. Can you imagine that? Some of you guys look like you're getting geeked in here, saying, I wish it was that way. Notice this. They are still denied the right to vote in Islamic countries, such as Kuwait. And this is what happened when our fellows went over there during the Persian Gulf crisis. They were shocked by some of the things that they saw and the treatment of women. The only people with spine in this society, and here's a quote that comes from a, uh, from a magazine where uh, they're talking about how Islamic women are treated. The only people, will, people with spine in this society are the 47 women who drove, one Saudi intellectual said, and look what happened to them. Now what he's talking about is the fact that they, women are denied the privilege or the right of driving. So there were some women who got tired of it and said, we don't care, we're going to drive. And they went to jail. Okay. Could you women imagine not driving? Going to Eastland, Northland, <laughs> Westland. Men, I think we better get together and pass a law. We might. But notice this. They were thrown to the wolves, it says. The government punished them as severely as it would any public protesters. Virtually all of them who taught at one university, these were university women, were dismissed by the order of the king. The women, as well as their husbands, and even some of their relatives, were forbidden to leave the kingdom. They were ordered to meet with Western, not to meet with Western reporters, see, because they don't want this thing discussed, or to discuss their situation with any outsider. And they were warned of further reprisals if they attempted to drive again or stage another demonstration. But the government's abuse of these women was mild compared with their treatment by the religious establishment. The fundamental sheiks denounced them from one of the kingdom's most powerful political platforms. In, in Friday's sermons after the protests, the women were branded as red communists, dirty American secularists, whores, and prostitutes just because they drove a car. Fallen women and advocates of vice, their names, occupations, addresses, and phone numbers were distributed in leaflets around the mosque and other pub public places. One leaflet ac accused them of having renounced Islam, an offense punishable by death in Saudi Arabia. Imagine that. If you denounce Islam in Saudi Arabia, you can lose your life. Okay. 
That is why sometimes when you talk to someone who is in the world Islam, they become very upset that you challenge their religion. Because over in their country, they're not used to being challenged. That's one thing that I love about America is that you have freedom of religion here. And if you don't want your religion scrutinized, don't come to America. Because we have a right, and all of us should be about the business of examining what we believe. Several of the women remained unrepentant, convinced that eventually the issue of their status will be addressed. The issue is not driving, one of them says. It is that here in Saudi Arabia, I exist as a person from the belly button to the knees only. Right? And these are the complaints that women have. So regardless of what you hear, regardless of what is said, you need to understand that Islamic women are oppressed and the world Islam condones it and the Quran condones it. Regardless of what you hear Farrakhan say or anyone in the black Muslim say, the Quran condones the subjugation and the physical abuse of women. And that is clear. Now, they might try to jump and tap and skip around it, but we have statements in the Quran that they just can't get around. And also, we have statements in the Hadith. Let us take a look at Muhammad's personal life. Now, a lot of this comes from the Hadith. And these are the sacred traditions of Islam, held to be sacred by those in the Middle East. Some uh, do not recognize it to be on the same status as the Quran. However, there is much information that the Hadith gives about Muhammad that has to be accepted by Islam. So we're going to take a look at what the Hadith has to say about some of these things. Once again, we're coming from Islamic Invasion, Dr. Moray's book. Uh, and he says, because the Quran in Surah 4.3 forbids the taking of more than four wives, to have taken any more would have been sinful for Muhammad. One Muslim apologist with whom I was conversing, conversing argues as follows. Muhammad was sinless. The Quran makes taking more than four wives a sin. Therefore, Muhammad could not have taken more than four wives. Why? Because Muhammad was sinless. Unfortunately, Muhammad was not sinless, my friends. And the lists of all of his wives are quite available. Uh, they're easy to find. He had uh, about 11 or more of them. And uh, one of them was nine years old. He took the wife of one of his nephews also because he said, uh, Allah said it was okay. So there's a, uh, a list he had. In fact, he had about 16 women as wives. So he was quite the womanizer. Notice, Muhammad on women in the Hadith and I will give you, it's volume one, uh, pages 301, and volume two, page 161, where Muhammad says, the prophet said, I was shown the hellfire, and that the majority of its dwellers were women. Okay, this is in the Hadith. He says, he was shown hellfire, and when he looked in to see who was in there, the majority of those in there were women. So be careful, women. You know where you're going, huh? Notice, and he continues, and this is in the Hadith, volume 2, page 541. The, re the reason the majority of women in hell were women is stated in volume 2, uh, page 541. Oh, women, this is Muhammad, supposedly a quote from him. Oh, women, this is in the Hadith. I have not seen anyone more deficient in intelligence and religion than you. 
I have not seen anyone more deficient in intelligence and religion than you. So you can see then that his view of women was not too high indeed. Muhammad believed that women were deficient in intelligence and thus they should not be given equal rights under Islamic law. For example, he legislated that a woman's testimony in court was worth only half that of a man. Thus, it would take the testimony of two women, two women to offset the testimony of one man. Imagine what this would do to women who were raped. The prophet said, isn't the witness of a woman equal to half that of a man? The woman said, yes. He said, this is because of the deficiency of a woman's mind. So he really laid heavy into this fact that women had something deficient in their mind. Can you understand why in Islamic countries women can be so easily subordinated? Why the man walks in the front and a woman walks in the back? Because it is honored by sacred literature and by sacred tradition and by the custom of Islam. Muhammad's sexual appetite, also found in the Hadith, concerning his sexual appetite. And it seems like he had quite a sexual appetite indeed. It says, Muhammad's sexual activities were legendary. His harem had over 20 women in it. The Hadith makes the claim, he must have had a lot of geritol and garlic peels and everything, huh? The Hadith makes the claim that he was able to have sex with all of them every day before prayers. And I would imagine that after that he'd need to pray. He supposedly had the sexual strength of 30 men. This is the Hadith. You women are the ones laughing. Such claims were made to impress the Arabs who at that time believed that ceaseless sexual activity was paradise, okay? And you can recall the things we've already said about what they expect in heaven, all right? And this is what is said in the Hadith concerning Muhammad. It said, the prophet used to visit all his wives in a round during the day. By the round, it means he went around from one to one. During the day and night, and they were 11 in number. And one person asked another, had the prophet strength for it? And we replied, we used to say that the prophet was given the strength of 30 men. So then, uh, these are things that are contained in the Hadith. And they can be read. In fact, I'd recommend you get the book and it even gives you more of where to find the quotes. This is volume 1, uh, number two, uh, 20, 270, page 270 and 267. Also, as to how many wives the prophet had, we are told by Malik in volume one that there were 11 in number. He would often choose new sexual partners from the women captured during his conquest. In flat contradiction, uh, the Hadith in uh, number 142, volume seven says that Muhammad had only nine wives. Women devotees, devotees would also offer themselves to be in Muhammad's harem. A woman came to Allah's prophet and said, Oh, Allah's apostle, I want to give myself to you. And that sounds as if something according to him, to them, that he would like to hear. So we can see then that this whole idea of women being oppressed, women being sexual toys, 
or tools is something that is riddled through Islamic thought. It should not be strange to us at all when we read of accounts of their suppression and this sort of thing. What should surprise us is how women, and of course I would say men in the same category, but how women in America would be interested in this religion. When we can see, when we look directly at the religion itself, that it makes all of these oppressive type statements. And there have been many women who have gotten into Islam who uh, became disillusioned once they found out that when they went to the mosque, they had to walk behind the husband and all of this kind of thing. They started looking at him like he was crazy. But they did not know all of this up front when they first got into it. Okay? And I have met, I don't know if you have, of women who go along with this, hating it all the time. But I guess they're just so desperate that they're willing to stay in this knowing that, you know, that it just isn't right. So... This, these are some of the things that he had to say concerning women. Any questions? I don't think we have to worry about any of you women going over, do we? If you do, do we have the permission to come and smack you upside the head? You're going to get hit anyway. Might as well just get you used to it. You left Christ. Yeah, speak real loudly. No, now the thing is, when you talk to uh, uh, those in Islam, no, they won't practice polygamy, okay? However, remember, we judge a religion by what the documents say, the sacred literature says. Of course they can't practice it here, okay? In fact, one uh, person who was from Islam argued. In fact, he said, I was wrong. He said, that preacher's wrong because I know Muslims and we don't practice polygamy. That wasn't my position. Whether you practiced it or not, the truth is, that's what it says. The Quran says that you can. And in Islamic countries, they do. There are some Islamic countries that are moving away from the practice, but still, their holy book, the Quran, says that it's okay. In other words, I don't care what a Satanist tells me he does or does not do. The Satanic Bible says that they can be sexually immoral. Therefore, I judge Satanism not by a Satanist, but by the source or the document that they use. When you judge me as a Christian, you're supposed to judge me based upon what? The Bible, right? How many of you know that there are Christians who don't do what the Bible says? Okay, and that is how you can bring them to task, is by bringing them back to the Bible. Because if you say you're a Christian, then you are bound to follow this book. If you say that you're Islamic, then you're bound to follow the Quran. If you say you are a black Muslim, then you are bound to go by the teachings of Elijah Muhammad and Farrakhan. It's as simple as that. So never let them send you all around the barn and this sort of thing. We don't do this, we don't do that. Study their religion. Study their quotes, right? No Mormon can get beyond what is said by Joseph Smith and Brigham Young. If they deny them, fine. Then deny it all. Don't try to keep some. Because Joseph Smith was responsible for the Book of Mormon and all of the revelations. Once you get him out, you have it all out. Simple as that, right? But we need Christians who know how to use this kind of logic and to be clear with this kind of thing. But they'll try that. It's not about what a particular one practices. It is about what the document says. Okay? You need to go to their sources, yes? Oh, he'll say flowery things. 
He will say beautiful things. He will say that these, the women are the greatest gifts to mankind and all of this and everything. He will not, you won't hear him saying any of the things I've said. However, he will say that the Quran is his holy book. Okay? Therefore, what you need to ask him is, what about this? Okay? Now, I will show you, in fact, we're going to have it when we get into the black Muslims, because we haven't as yet, that Elijah Muhammad did quote this. Very interesting, that he actually quoted this scripture on women, but he kind of changed it up a bit. But we'll show you that they have, uh, that Elijah Muhammad did teach some of these things, but he really watered it down, because they know that to any thinking person, this is damaging to their view. Remember the guy that I talked to, who was Islamic, said that it didn't mean beat. It was symbolic. Wasn't talking about beating at all. Wasn't even talking about women. I said, what? Remember it said, send them to their couches, to their beds apart? I said, what did the couch mean then? <laughs> this guy was gone, right? Of course it means that. And that's why they had to change it. Yes. Uh-huh. Now, I don't know about that. I know one thing, that polygamy is not recognized by the state. Okay, be sure of that. The United States government is not going to approve you to have nothing but one wife or a wife to have one husband. And the United States government isn't doing that necessarily from a moral st stance, just too many tax problems. <laughs> no, no, you can't have that many exemptions, buddy. Oh, no, all them kids. No, let's go back to the Bible. See? <laughs> we ain't crazy, right? So, but, so this is their reason, and you better believe it. It's basically a matter of, of, of policy. Yeah, money is the issue, not morality for the good old Uncle Sam. Yes, we'll get to you, Josh. Yes. Who are you speaking of? Muhammad, this, the guy, the Quran guy? All of that information, I do not know. Probably you can find out through looking at more of a historical study of the group. I would imagine that his kids would not have any trouble being taken care of because wealth was something that he was quite accustomed to. And so his kids, his family would have been well off. And, well, and his women, by the way, right? And his women. And we need to understand that many of these, uh, these women uh, probably, uh, they were of, if we were to talk about... Uh, uh, ethnic groups that they come from very interesting that we know a lot of his uh, his harem was made up of black women because um, uh, the Muslims conquered Africa and so in fact he talks about uh, uh, this as well he had some statements about black women in fact I need to bring one in and read you what he had to say about black women he considered it bad luck uh, he considered it bad luck to even look at a black woman so I don't know if he closed his eyes when he went in with them or not. And I don't know, that might be something for us to think about, uh, brothers. But uh, that's what he said. Okay. But they were well taken. And that study may help you in terms of history if you just want to know more about their history. Yes. Yeah. Right. And we're going to talk about all of that. Very good. Very good point that you're making. In fact, in fact, that comes in, uh, in a, it's about two lessons away because we're going to deal with why Islam could not be the black man's religion. Absolutely cannot be because of certain facts that are clear and have to. And I tell you what, those facts, my friend, that you are just bringing out, which is going to be available to all of you, by the way.
when you talk about that to someone uh, that's in Islam, especially a black Islamic person, watch them squirm. They will squirm, I guarantee you. And they're going to say, well, yeah, yeah, the Arabs, they enslaved us, but they treated us right. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like the army, you know, be all you can be, you're going to be all we want you to be when we get you in. So, but, so those are very important facts. There are clear reasons why there is just absolutely no way when you look at certain facts. But we're going to deal with that, yeah, with who the original slave masters were and who in fact sold the African slaves to the Europeans, okay, in the first place. We'll be dealing with that. Yes, you're in the back, so speak loudly. I beg your pardon that they're what? Underlying the, the, in, in getting into the culture? Oh, rap movement. Okay. In terms of, well, I would say this, that first of all, even without Islam, men have been oppressing women for centuries. Don't all y'all say amen. But it's true. Uh, chauvinistic attitudes have existed before uh, Islam was even on the scene. Uh, so that's, that's always been. And it's, uh, it's very much a sin. There's a lot of uh, male chauvinism in the Christian church. That is not according to the Bible. Uh, women have trouble ministering because of the chauvinistic attitudes of men in the church. So, so I would say we can't blame Islam for this. What Islam has done is taken this carnality of man and made it into religion, okay, and said that it was okay. What God has done is looked at this sinful carnality and condemned it. And, I mean, when you've got what Paul said in Galatians 3, can you imagine even a Pharisee reading what Paul said in Galatians 3, 27? We are all one, male and female. Pharisees, what? Because the Pharisees, very chauvinistic, okay, very much so. So uh, we can't blame Islam for male chauvinism, but we can say that the real danger is that they have taken it and, and made it a religion and institutionalized it. Very, very dangerous. M many of them will say that, and many of them, no doubt, will be treated real well. Yeah, I'm sure that they're treated really well and really nice until they disobey. Remember what he said? The obedient ones, right? But you disobey, you're in trouble. We're talking about in, where they can't even drive a car, where they cannot even leave their home. Okay? Sponsored by Bible Bootcamp Ventures. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.